Hi, I'm Pastor Elise. And I'm Pastor Mary. Welcome to You're on Mute. everybody and welcome to you're on mute with pastor elise and pastor mary hi everybody super excited <laughs> hello super excited about today's episode mom tell the people what's happening today well we are very excited because dr caroline lewis from luther seminary in minneapolis is with us um we have admired her from afar uh, mm-hmm. for a long time and now have become friends with her and I know. uh I know. And, feels uh, so cool. <laughs> so cool. We like shared contact info and everything. Ermagerd. <laughs> but we were with her. She was the leader of our trip last November to mm-hmm. Israel and Palestine. And so if, if any of you who've done that know that that's always a real bonding experience. Absolutely. And so we were very glad for that too. Yeah, I mean, we really jumped on that trip because she was the one leading it. You and I have both talked about going to the Holy Land for a long time and how cool it would be if we went together, um, kind of a mother-daughter bonding experience. And um, I was sitting in an online kind of seminar that my synod had put on about being a woman in in ministry, and Caroline was kind of our keynote speaker slash leader, and she plugged the trip kind of at the beginning and I immediately texted you in all caps. I was like, Caroline Lewis is leading a trip to the Holy Land. We have to go. And um and uh it worked out and we went and it was awesome and it allowed us, yeah, to get to know her better, to get to know 28 other people from around the country who went as well. And you know, that first night of the trip when we all kind of talked about what brought us here, so many people just said, I've just admired you, Caroline, for such a mm-hmm. long time. And you know, it's so funny. It's uh, it's such a small Lutheran world and or, or really church world now. But, um, you know, I, I always kind of wonder what it must be like to have that kind of name recognition. I mean, I know, that's pretty I, cool. I, I remember one of the stops we had um, a, a young woman who I think is a Lutheran pastor. She was leading a, another group. Uh, And we were all at the same hotel and kind of leaving at the same time. And, you know, at the front of the buses, it would say, you know, women in Jesus's life led by Caroline Lewis. So we all knew kind of which bus was ours. And the the woman who was leading this other tour came to our bus because she saw Caroline's name on it. And just (laughs) just to meet just to meet her because she also was such an admirer of, of Caroline's work. So. So yeah, it's a, it's, it was very, and one of the things that I told Caroline on that trip was I said, because I have a couple of friends who are also Lutheran homiletics professors. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to, um, to one of them who's actually now a bishop. And I said, so who, who in our, you know, Lutheran world in, uh, in the States is really the most prominent homiletician at this point mm-hmm. and he said caroline lewis is wow and so i i told her that and then she was you know she was very touched i think yeah <laughs> well, that's, such a, that. that's such a cool thing it's I mean, very cool thing you know it's uh that's pretty awesome but yeah no she's she's great and i mean and she um, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what a podcast is. So whether you're a preacher or not, I highly recommend checking out Sermon Brainwave, which is put out by the Working Preacher website. Um, and you can actually find it 
um, on any podcast uh, platform. You just look up Working Preacher. And it's Caroline Lewis and Joy J. Moore and Matt Skinner, um, who are all uh, uh, Bible scholars and preachers. And um, they basically go through the lectionary text every every week. Um, I get a lot of inspiration from that podcast for my own preaching. Uh, but it's also just a really cool deep dive. And, and you learn a lot from those three. Um, so, yeah, check, th- check that out if you're kind of a Bible nerd or, or you just kind of want to learn more or you want to get into the head of your own pastor and kind of right. like read the same well, things. Yeah. I don't know how many preachers would want their congregants listening to that because they might say, oh, I know where you got that from. <laughs> that happened well, to me once. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I tend to never claim, um, you know, if I use one of the stories that they use or you direct, say what it is, or yeah. a direct point, I'll say a, a great theologian said, or yeah, I always, you know, I'm blah, like, blah, something yeah. like that. Well, but, and um, also, you know, it's good stuff. Yeah. And also Working Preacher um, website has commentaries mm-hmm. that aren't super long um, on each of the texts for the day and lots of other resources. So if maybe you're um, a new preacher or a longtime preacher and you've never used that resource, Elise and I would highly, highly I recommend it. it. Right. It's so, phenomenal. Yeah, it yeah. is phenomenal. And uh, Caroline also is a, a phenomenal writer, and she has quite a few books. Um, Embody is one. Uh, she is one of her more famous books. Uh, it's like the five keys to unlocking um, the potential of women in ministry, something like that. It's a really great book. And her most recent book, which mom mentions having bought multiple times during this interview. I didn't buy it multiple <laughs> times. I just mentioned it multiple you times. You mentioned the fact that she bought it multiple times. Uh, tell us the title of that there book. The Ma. title of that book is Preaching the Word, colon, Got it. Contemporary Approaches to the Bible for the Pulpit. And you'll hear uh, Caroline Lewis talk about that a little bit. And I would also highly recommend her commentary on John's gospel um, mm-hmm. in terms of her New Testament side, the New Testament side of her academically, um, that's her area of specialty. Mm-hmm. And um, she just does a really good, it really is for the, the teaching preacher, unlike some of those long ago, incredibly thick <laughs> multi volumes yeah. of John where you know you got the 411 on every Greek word <laughs> and the Hebrew word that was almost like it yeah. um Ooh. you know this is very <laughs> I, I think very accessible so even if you are oh, yeah. um, a Sunday school teacher and mm-hmm. are you know doing something like that I think you would appreciate it too so absolutely yeah no she um she all of her writing is is really um approachable but also uh really some very cool kind of mind-blowing points um you know finding reliable and trustworthy sources can be really tough considering everyone and their mom can put whatever they want to on the internet hey. so if well <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I didn't even think about the fact that you've got like 80 million websites dedicated to your writing. Okay, well, let me finish. Let me finish. I was saying, I was saying, um, she is a very reliable uh, source, um, as is uh, the Reverend Dr. Mary Anderson, who has multiple writings. A mostly reliable source. <laughs> mostly reliable source. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, great. Um, yeah, that's mypocketpreacher.com, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Goodbye. My Pocket Preacher. <laughs> literally, you better mom, believe it. Literally, mom pays the $19.99 we have to pay every month to have this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite, that's quite serious there. Yeah. <laughs> brought to you by My Pocket Preacher and Bowers Farm. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, enjoy, enjoy this uh, interview podcast that we did with Caroline Lewis. We think you'll love it. We think you will. And check out all of her writings and, and everything she puts out. Uh, and um, yeah, enjoy everybody. And we'll see you again soon. See you soon. Today on You're On Mute, we're uh, so glad to welcome Dr. Caroline Lewis, who many of you know is the professor of preaching at Luther Seminary in Minneapolis, God's country, as some people say. (laughs) And she's also a wonderful scholar on the Gospel of John. I always check her commentary whenever there's a Johannine text Mm -hmm. available. Her latest book just published is called Preaching the Word. Contemporary Approaches to the Bible for the Pulpit. Welcome, Dr. Lewis. Good to see you. Yeah, oh, welcome. Here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're so excited to have you on today. Seminary, wow. Seminary Elise would be freaking out. <laughs> I was such a fangirl of yours all through seminary. So she was so cool. Yeah. Well, and so then we were both excited uh, last November because uh, Elise and I were both on a trip that um, Dr. Lewis was leading to Israel and Palestine. And that was a, mm-hmm. that was a really great time. And yeah, uh, of course, now with everything going on, I'm thinking about how you know, all these other trips people have probably planned aren't happening. Oh, yeah. And so I'm yeah. very glad for the time we had. I've, mm-hmm. Elise and I both have been in touch with Lama, our guide over there, just to yep. see yep. how she's doing, as of you, yeah, mm-hmm. just to, to see how she's doing. And um, so anyway, that was a, a super experience. And I've been to yeah. Greece now since then. I just came back from Greece in September and I saw um, that. was able to go to, to go to some of the Pauline sites. So, and I'm teaching Acts as a Bible study here at my church. And man, it just, I just get so excited talking about, oh, and here's what this looks like. I'll show you the picture. <laughs> Makes a difference, doesn't it? It really does. And I've always yeah. heard people say that, like I read the Bible differently now that I've been to these places and seen them. And I thought, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But you really do. You really do. Yeah. I felt that way when we got back from the Holy Land, just kind of, I mean, I was always, I was surprised when we were there about what kind of hit me like emotionally and what didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. like the the areas that I thought like, oh, I'm definitely going to feel something here. I was kind of like, if I have to stand in this line for one more second, I'm going (laughs) to... jump off the roof but then it was you know but then you the mean like was, at the holy sepulcher where i had to force you to stay in I, line i nearly had a panic attack at church <laughs> of the holy sepulcher i was so over it i was so <laughs> tired and i was like i cannot be in this line anymore with the pushing and the shoving and we're literally all trying to go see you know jesus's tomb and we're like fighting with each other over a line <laughs> space and i was like i'm out i can't do this and 
mom was like, you will stay right here. <laughs> you are going to go into that tomb. That's right. and I was You'll like, hate okay. yourself later. <laughs> I know. I know. We got to see for about 2.3 microseconds before. I we know. I was, out. I actually, it was so crazy. It took me a year to finally do a presentation on that trip to my church. <laughs> And uh, so like two weeks ago, actually it was on my, on my, on my birthday on the third, um, I presented to our seniors group, my, the, the trip, my slideshow was 130 slides long, <laughs> but we got through it. And, um, and I, you know, was telling them kind of about uh, kind of that experience in the church of the Holy Sepulcher. And then, and then that funky other place we went to the garden in the tomb where I was like, <laughs> They actually might have something going here. They're 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 putting down some pretty interesting perspectives. Um, and then it was wild because like a week later is when the attacks happened and the violence escalated. And so now people are wanting me to do it again, but mm. but um, add in a little more about the history of the Israel Palestine conflict. So I I think we're going to do that soon. Um, that, that's really something that I feel like everybody's kind of longing for because it's mm -hmm. so complex. Yeah, I, I feel like part of what, um, as you may remember, Caroline, my favorite part of the trip was being in Bethlehem and being with the Palestinians. But mm -hmm. um, I'm right now I'm just trying to remind or educate people about the fact that there are Palestinian Christians yes. and there are Palestinian mm -hmm. Lutherans. Mm -hmm. And the long time that they have um you know, the, the Lutherans in, Pal in Bethlehem have been working to bring Jews and Muslims and Christians together. So, you know, that's going to be a little bit of what I'm going to say tonight at our peace service. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, and I just want to say my favorite part of the Holy Sepulcher was the Wi-Fi extender that was all the way up at the ceiling <laughs> next, to, next to Jesus's tomb. Yeah, <laughs> they can't, they can't agree on where to put that damn ladder that's been leaning against the wall <laughs> since the 1700s but they all were like the tomb needs wi-fi that's right <laughs> so we need to we need to add the wi-fi yeah that tickled us so much that was on one of my slides was the Wi-Fi. i know and mine too mm -hmm. well um caroline we were also talking about how you know we all know that you've been teaching preaching at luther for what 50 years now <laughs> It seems yeah. Like it. Yeah. yeah, it's been a long yeah. time. But can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up being in as a preaching professor there and what you did before that and maybe why you stay? Yeah. What keeps you in it? Well, how did I get there? It is it could be a long story or it could be a short or shorter story. And I'll I'll stick with the shorter version of it. And that is that when you grow up a, a PK, preacher's mm -hmm. kid. You swear that you will never be a preacher or marry a preacher. Amen, mm -hmm. sister. Of course, both of those things come true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so, avoided marrying one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I actually, my undergrad experience was as a violin performance major at Northwestern University. So that, Whoa. that was my that was my, that was my major. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And I got about two years into it and realized that the feasibility of landing a job in an orchestra somewhere was slim to none. Mm -hmm. And so really kind of had a, a bit of a, 
vocational crisis of what I was going to do. And Mm -hmm. that pretty much lasted the rest of college. And I went back to, I grew up, I was born and raised in California, went back to California Mm. and, and worked for a year. And during that time, just real, really having, uh, uh, yeah, kind of a vocational identity (laughs) crisis of what really I wanted to do. And then Mm -hmm. My mother uh, ended up going to Luther Seminary as a second career, and she was out at Luther. And then my sister, Emily, my middle sister, decided she wanted to go to Luther and do an MA in pastoral care and counseling. So then I thought, all right, I'll go too. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? I don't have anything better to do. Right. I know, such a spirit-led <laughs> moment. It yeah, was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> It was the whole, you know, light bulb and mm-hmm. well, lightning from the sky and you know, exactly. and all that oh, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it was pretty much, yeah, I'll go along, I'll go along for the ride. And but my thought was I really did like teaching. I was doing some teaching out in California, music, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do like a an MA in in Christian ed. And so I enrolled as an MA, a master of arts, and but I was, the registrar could tell that I was kind of on the fence. And so she said, well, if you're kind of on the fence of MA or MDiv, why don't you take Greek? Because you're going to need Greek if you do an MDiv. And I thought, oh, well, everything else has been, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Add it to the oh, list. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I absolutely loved it. And mm-hmm. I think that it, in a way it makes sense, you know, with the connections of music and language and mm-hmm. and. And for me also math. So those three areas were always, well, you know, interrelated for me. And so I just got started on this like Greek path. And very quickly after that, uh, a number of my professors said, have you thought about grad school? Have you thought about grad school and teaching? And, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's really what ended up happening as I, I went through the um, MDiv, did my internship at uh, in Washington State, Mount Vernon, Washington, and Skagit oh, Valley. Cool. And then, uh, then when it came time, I graduated, and then the year after I graduated, I decided to either uh, I applied for graduate schools, and if I didn't get into grad school in New Testament, then I was going to take a parish, and mm-hmm. I got in and. So Where did you, you go? I went to Emory University. Oh, did you? In Atlanta. Oh, in Atlanta. Nice. Oh. And I that I got my degree in New Testament, but, but there you also do a minor. And mm. so my minor was homiletics. It was preaching. Mm. And now the pieces are coming together. Coming yeah. together, right? All coming together. And so, uh, yeah, Mary, you asked me, like, why I stay in it. And... Because I often will get questions about why aren't you teaching New Testament? Like you Mm -hmm. have taught New Testament a number of times, Mm -hmm. but I teach preaching because that's, that's the music in me, the musician in me coming out that Mm -hmm. kind of sweet spot of really a musical piece isn't its full, its fullness until it's performed. And Mm -hmm. I think German as well. Uh, And also that I was never terribly interested in interpreting a biblical text just to 
find interpret out it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just for you the want facts, it, for the you facts it, of it. <laughs> yeah. You wanted to be more of an artist than that. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I also wanted it to be, yeah, that's really interesting, but what difference does it make? Where mm-hmm. does it end? Who cares? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, so preaching is that sweet spot of an interpretive act becoming embodied. And mm-hmm. that's really what performance was in preach in, in my, I gotcha. yeah, so how, really so cool. how long has it really been that you've been a homiletics professor at Luther? 16 years. I'm going okay. into my 17th year. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of students. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's sure a lot of is. first sermons. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Where's, I think I'm going to have a couple of extra jewels in my crown for yeah, all. no doubt. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask, I mean, I was only in seminary like five ish years ago. Truth, truth, truth time. Have you ever listened to kind of one of those first sermons and just been like, oh my God, <laughs> we need to work harder with this one. <laughs> There has to be some cringe moments. I mean, I know my first sermons were probably awful. <laughs> well, mine were too. And yeah. I'll never forget taking my my first preaching course at, at Luther and preached my first sermon. And at that time, we would preach in the chapel, one of the chapels on campus, and then we'd go back to a classroom and mm-hmm. talk about it, yeah. which the professor called the clubhouse. And I'll never forget that we went back and, and he said, Caroline, that was an excellent exegetical paper. I threw everything that I had found out about that text. And then it's used here and it's a, you know, pluperfect tense, which means blah, 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 blah. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, and, and. Oh my god. That's that's all under the who cares category. <laughs> right. That is that would be correct. <laughs> oh, but I have had a few there have been a few cringe worthy moments. Mm-hmm. But where I have really focused my attention Elise over the years is recognizing that my job as a preaching professor is not to to educate good preachers, mm-hmm. but faithful preachers. Right. Yeah. Because the goodness is always in God's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody says, oh, that sermon, you know, Pastor Mary, just that sermon was so good. That's not anything you've done. I know. Is. And usually I've thought that one was horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. But the spirit has entered in and touched mm-hmm. touched that moment and made that connection for that person. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so I really have taught from that place of it. I can't teach you the goodness, but I can teach you the faithfulness, mm-hmm. you know, faithfulness to the biblical text, faithfulness to your context and so on. Mm-hmm. And so even if even a cringeworthy sermon, I know I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can. I know I can work toward faithfulness, and also that not every student is going to be this like woo, you know, blow. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, out. totally. I mean, most won't be. No, no. Most of us aren't. And mm-hmm. but that but that's okay because right ministry is kind of Jane of all trades. Right? You're, oh gosh, yeah. You're, you're there are all kinds of things that 
where you can exercise your gifts, teaching, mm-hmm. pastoral mm-hmm. care, and and uh, mm-hmm. administration, and right. all those things. And but as long as your preaching is faithful to your to the biblical text and faithful to your context, then then that's all that matters. All that matters. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize just going back to your story a little bit, how many cross paths you and I have, because I mean, I grew up in Evanston and, you know, mom, we we lived there for what Evanston, we were there for 12 years in Oak Park before that. But so, you know, I grew up uh, running the lakefront around Northwestern <laughs> University. And then I lived in Atlanta for six years. And when I was choosing seminaries, I considered Emory, um, but Emory. decided to go more for a seminary vibe than a div school. I also didn't think I was going to get into Emory. I was like, I'm not, I don't, <laughs> I'm not smart enough for Emory. But, um, but the intern at the church I was a member of, Redeemer Lutheran downtown Atlanta, she was an Emory student. And, you know, she and I talked a lot when I was kind of discerning seminary. So, um, uh, yeah, I had some Emory connections in there as well. I was so jealous of their um, MDiv and public health program. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. so badly wanted to do that. But I was like, never in a million years will I get into the Emory public health school. So I was like, here I come, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back, went back, went back home. home. But uh, but yeah, wow, that's so neat. Um, and uh, I served yeah. a, a church there too in, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is a okay. suburb in the Northeast, about 25 mm-hmm. miles Northeast of Atlanta. Yeah. Amazing Grace Lutheran Church. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh. I don't know that one. I think they might be in the call process right now, actually. Could very this, well be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been scouring the open calls on the ELC website. So <laughs> I, I feel like I know every church that's has an open pulpit in the Southeast right now. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. Probably do. Probably have them on a list somewhere, but yeah. yeah. Well, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, one of the questions, and actually, Carolyn, I had emailed you about this a while back. Um, I told you that I was reading Diana Butler Bass's book, Christianity After Religion. And then um, because I'm I'm teaching um, an online preaching course to Region 9 in uh, February, I wanted to try to focus at least some on, because I think I'll have like folks that have been preaching for a while, but, you know, haven't really talked or read about homiletics since they were in homiletics class. <laughs> sure. um, and so because so much has changed in church and culture. Do you talk with the students about um, how preaching needs to be different, or is it really more of a faithfulness to what has always been? I guess I focus a lot on um, sermons that I don't like is kind of what you were talking about with your first sermon, where it's really kind of a Bible study. Mm -hmm. And so it's all text and no context. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't put some, con- you know, our context into it and have it speak to our day, then what are we doing? Right. You know, how is it? How is it really helpful? And I don't know if that's a question that you um, can really answer or not. I was, you know, quizzing you about are there some books on preaching that um, kind of address those issues of, you know, here we are in 2023. It's not 1956 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And you did refer me to your um, to your book, which I I got right away and am planning to read. And I want to. I have a few questions about that book too. But um, you know, I'm just you know, how would you respond to that? You know, for the last forty years have been my whole ministry has been because I'm in my forty. I'm in my forty first year of ministry, and I realize I have been in transition the entire time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) the entire time Mm -hmm. well I think that what has become at at least in my in my perception and I I think we're still so much in this Mary because it's Mm -hmm. there's so many converging converging issues that are at play one is as Diana Butler Bass talks about what what does the church look after after Christendom, mm-hmm. uh, but that's been going on for a long time, and then to what extent the pandemic exacerbated that, mm-hmm. and and then also the I I talked about this I was talking about this a couple of years ago and a lot of things that I did the and I live in South Minneapolis and that's the murder of George Floyd and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm exposure once again our of our inherent racism as a country and so i think that there are these these converging crises if you will and i and and the pandemic bringing up a crisis of 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 theology of biblical authority of ecclesiology and so i think that's what complicates it because there's just not one thing to right. which we are responding that, mm-hmm. that that we're we're in this yeah as i said this conflation and but by crisis i don't mean the sky is falling chicken little syndrome kind of crisis mm-hmm. but really crisis from from the new testament when when there's a couple verses after john 3:16 that not as many people know about mm-hmm. but i but that the son did not come to condemn the world but the world is there uh, the 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 word there is uh, crisis. The that the son did not come to judge or condemn the world, but the world is judged by their response to Jesus. And the word is crisis, so it means a decision moment. It mm-hmm. means a moment of of uh, uh, of deep reflection and deep discernment. And mm-hmm. so I think that means that a couple of things for preaching. One is that we have to have, we have to be aware of these issues and talk into them. And that because to what extent we have a theological crisis in that when you can't go to church, then where's God, which is right. not unlike the, <laughs> the gospels, right? Right. In terms of the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. Where is God? How is God at work if God is not within those usual constructs mm-hmm. of church? Then also relatedly, who am I as a disciple? Because I can't embody my usual, I can't act out my usual discipleship things. Mm-hmm. So am I still worthy? Am I still a faithful person? Am I still, does God still see me if I'm not if I'm not going to church and doing my volunteering or or being in worship. I, and I think also a crisis of ecclesiology, like what is church? Oh, definitely. And what does it mean to be a church and what is a church for? And so it, it means that the, and I'll add one other thing, and that is 
Well, maybe I'll separate that out. That means that as a preacher, we have to look in, we have to look in our passages for place to en- places to enter into that uh, and name that and to name those fears uh, and those realities rather than pretending they don't exist. And yeah. I think that's, and so that, that calls for an intentionality on a preacher's part to say, mm-hmm. yeah, what are these things that are floating around that nobody, is anybody really talking about them, but how are we going to talk about them mm-hmm. as a church? And then I think the other thing that we're preaching really needs to needs to have some serious self-awareness is the concept of biblical authority Mm. because we cannot assume that the bible is an authoritative document and we have had the luxury of assuming that Mm -hmm. truth of the capital t (laughs) right long long time yeah and but there are many 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 other authoritative texts whether they be actual texts or people or experiences mm-hmm. that are working on people that that they would choose that over what they read in scripture mm-hmm. so i think it means actually a call of attention i mean a, a a trust even more in the in the biblical text mm-hmm. and uh, and to and that we're conscious of how how we interpret scripture and how much the Bible is actually in our sermons is indicative of whether or not we think it has authority mm-hmm. and what kind of authority it has. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you stand up and say, you know, the Bible needs to be authoritative. That's an ontological faith claim. Right. We can't say that we have to demonstrate that. We have to show that we cannot make sense of the world or God or ourselves mm-hmm. without these scriptures. And so those are some of the things they're really subtle. Yeah. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I think that's part of the problem is that they're, they're not these obvious fixes. They're not quick fixes because we, we've been assuming so many things for so long Mm -hmm. that that it's going to take, it's going to take a long time to to unwind. (laughs) Oh yeah. and, And I try to, as much as I can, ask hard questions in my sermon that I either know that people have been asking, like, how is it that people can live without faith? How can they not go to church? And I'm like, here's how. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. You know, here's what they're saying, right? Yeah, You're too yeah. afraid to ask your son-in-law why he won't come to church, but mm-hmm. here's what folks like your son-in-law are saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? exactly. and, and, you know, I feel like, you know, I can say those things that they consider like, oh, the the roof of the church would fall in if mm-hmm. I ask this hard question, but then it doesn't. So, yeah. you know, we can talk about it and address it. Yeah. And even in even including kind of what people are seeing on the news, what they're reading, what they're what they're looking at, you know, and it's amazing kind of you know, one of the big parts about this podcast is talking about perspectives from different generations. It's kind of our hook, right? And so, um, you know, it's been amazing to me. I have certainly been accused of being a political preacher uh, in the past. Um, and I'm like, if you don't think the gospel is political, we need to kind of go back to New Testament 101. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, so whenever I, I, I'm talking to somebody, I say, I'm not, I'm not partisan though, but 
politics is by definition how we function as a community. So sure, yeah, by the true de definition, I'm a political preacher. But it's amazing to me how the members of my current congregation, like 50 and below, if I really talk about something that's going on, you know, that's a real like headline topic, like the, you know, Israel-Palestine conflict or, you know, the murder of George Floyd or something like that, that generation will come up to me and say, I am so glad yes. we're talking about this in church because, mm -hmm. you know, this is where we can kind of reconcile these things. But it's the older generation and not all of them there. I do have quite a few kind of um, older folks uh, that are just kind of like, you know, tell us, preach it, you know, kind of like, let's get into it. But the majority of kind of that older generation is like, ooh, you came real close there, pastor. You're really kind of towing the line a little bit. And <laughs> um, I remember I preached uh, after the um covenant school shooting which happened in nashville and so that's right up the road from us mm -hmm. and i had a few members of the congregation whose grandkids um kids and grandkids live in nashville and either went to that school or to a neighboring school so i talked about it and you know i wasn't preaching gun reform you know necessarily you know but i had someone come up to me after service and say "Ooh, pastor that that sermon was pretty political like i mm, you know and I said, I don't know about you, but I don't find the senseless death of children to be political. Mm -hmm. And she was like, mm -hmm, and just kind of like, <laughs> kind of like scooted out. But, you know, I always I always kind of um, and I think, you know, kind of my generation of pastor and I'm sure others. But, um, you know, in my little first call Facebook group you know, we're always talking about how, oh, piss somebody off with my sermon this week. I talked about, you know, what's going on in the world too much. And um, so what would what would you say is a good answer to say to someone who accuses their pastor of being too political? Mm. <laughs> well, in in listening to you talk about some of those things, Elise, there are two things that come to mind. One is that if we don't talk about them, Mm -hmm. I think what we will then communicate and what gets what and then what develops over time is that actually our faith doesn't connect to real life. Mm. Yeah, and we're if we're silent about the ways in which we see our faith and the biblical text speaking into these issues, then what's the point of going? What's right. the point of having faith? I mean, if it's right. not it becomes even more and more irrelevant right. in that silence. And so I Which think is what folks already accuse us of being. Correct. And right. then you yeah. prove it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Bart is Bart's famous line of having the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Mm. And, uh, and so, and, and I think that's one answer is to say, you know, I actually want our faith to be relevant. I yeah. want, I want to put on the, oh, there's a, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I, I want to put out there for us the, the opportunities to talk about how is your faith helping you mm. with some of these things? Where, where are you finding places mm. of conversation and, you know, and places of dialogue around how your, how your faith is helping you navigate these really um, incredibly challenging times. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one way to answer mm -hmm. it. 
I think another way, because you're absolutely right, the, you, Jesus, you can't have a Jesus who went into the temple and overturned all the temple tables and mm-hmm. say political. I mean, that's yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And because he was constantly, I mean, to, you know, challenging the, the, the reign, right. Of, mm-hmm. of the empire, but also calling us to what does it mean? You know, the polis, what does it mean to citizen of the city? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think the other thing I would say is that the closer we stay to the biblical text, also the better off we are because I, yeah. uh, because I, I'll never forget, and I've, I've talked about this a lot, but I'll never forget when I, I wrote about the Beatitudes, which are coming up at least in the lectionary for all saints, right? Beatitudes in Matthew as a call to action, you know, as a call. Mm -hmm. And I got so, this was a number of years ago, um, but I got so much pushback about that. No, it isn't. It's our blessing. It's our, Mm. uh, no, no. this is first call to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're, We're called to be peacemakers. And so I think the closer we take, we are to the biblical text, when somebody says, well, that was, you know, really political, or I really didn't like that. You're like, well, take it up with Matthew. Right. Right. Or take it <laughs> yeah. up with Jesus. Take yeah. it up with Jesus. I didn't make yeah. this up. Right. Well, yeah. It's like, I sometimes have people who say things like, not necessarily that, Elise, but what I hear more often is, well, oh, I just don't watch the news. It's all such bad stuff. And I just go, then how do you know what to pray for? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nice. And they go, yeah, well. (laughs) Well, I wanted to ask you as well. um, I I told you, Caroline, that I do have your new book. Um, I'm only on page two. So, (laughs) and I, I did see that you had a section in there early on, maybe page four, actually. So almost there. I'm almost there. (laughs) But since I'm not, I was wondering if you could say a little bit about why you wrote that book, what we were hoping to to teach or bring about. Yeah, thank you for that. So the book is Preaching the Word, Contemporary Approaches to the Bible for the Pulpit. Mm-hmm. I originally wanted to call it a generous homiletic, but my editor uh but actually that's why I wrote it. Like, how are we modeling in our preaching a kind of generosity mm. that is listening to all of these different kinds of perspectives and, and especially of course, the challenges to what has dominated biblical interpretation of white you know, European cis, uh, mm-hmm. male yeah. <laughs> interpretation. And, uh, and so prime in many respects and, and for this book, I outline nine different approaches to, uh, that are, that are considered contemporary or contextual or situational hermeneutics where, they that that particular approach is coming from a particular place mm-hmm. and whether it be disability or queer or african-american uh, and ecological which sets out different kinds of questions and and different ways in which you can listen to and engage the text and i think what that does for me is for the preacher is 
is really comes from a kind of pastoral place is recognizing that at the end of the day, what I would hope is that, that in that kind of preaching, it's not that we want them to be experts of, you know, this kind of preaching or this kind of approach or this kind of approach, but, but to say, oh, wait, maybe my perspective matters too. Mm. Where my situation has shaped how I read, my context has shaped, my experiences are shaping how I engage mm. God and I engage scripture. And so how, and, and, and the ways in which then people hear themselves in these kinds of questions that we bring to the text. I mean, what difference does it make to, to, to hear the, hear, hear a particular passage from your, from your known and experienced context and everything that you bring to it. And so not, not permission to, but invitation to, mm-hmm. to, and out for them to say, Oh, and, and for them to reflect too and say, wow, I mean, I, uh, coming from blank, <laughs> I I see the text in this way. Yes, of yeah. course, because you're bringing a particular set of questions that that are coming out of your particular mm-hmm. context. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's really where it, 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 it came. Mm-hmm. Mary yeah. was like a, a really sort of a pastoral heart. Right. Yeah. And, that- and, I'm, and I'm really glad for that because I started seminary in 1978, and what you were just describing was pretty much illegal and yeah. heretical, Yes, at, right? Because it didn't matter what you thought. It didn't matter what your experiences were. Mm-hmm. It was like you brought nothing to the table. Right. Um, the the um the academics the scholars the ones who had studied all the deep hebrew and greek they were going to tell you in their books what that parable means right. and you didn't get to enter in and i'm so grateful that you know over the decades that's continuing to change and books like yours will definitely have and teaching like yours will will definitely help that as well um, I know, you know, Elise probably didn't even experience that. Um, yeah, did you? <laughs> you? Do you remember? It's been so long it's ago. It's been so long <laughs> since I started seminary in 2015. Um, <laughs> no, I think, well, so when I was there at LSTC, we were entering this time of a new, we were, I, I started in the second year of our new curriculum, the public church curriculum. There's always a new curriculum. Always a new curriculum. <laughs> and so... Um, and you know, it's so funny, uh, pastors or other folks always get so mad. I didn't have to take Greek or Hebrew. Mm. So I did it <laughs> because, yeah. and because, I, I would say, I disagreed with that. Yes. Mom was very mad about that. So it basically went from, you have these 18 required courses and then you had nine electives. They flipped it and they did nine required courses and 18 electives. And so um, because I am just horrifically bad at languages, I was more so terrified to take Greek and Hebrew than disinterested in it. But, you know, and so Barbara Rossing, who was our our Paul scholar and and one of the New Testament, you know, um, teachers, she was mortified. She would ask, 
almost every class. All right. So who took Greek and people would raise their hand. She'd be like, great. You guys are awesome. Who didn't take Greek? And we like three of us would kind of be in the corner and she'd be like, all right, well, I got to come up with some kind of different homework assignment. You. <laughs> you know, she was just like so mad about it, but I did appreciate, you know, she taught us how to, like look at the different translations and so she was like pay attention to where the words are different and then go look up that word so she taught mm -hmm. us how to use the concordance really well and she you know all of that and so which I is all most of us can still do no matter how many semesters right we have. Yeah, exactly <laughs> well so I, I you know like I love me blue letter bible I go to blue letter bible all the time um and I, it's funny because I actually kind of regret not taking it because, you know, when I listen or read things from working preacher or when there's just this one word that just doesn't quite feel right. And I go to blue letter Bible and then all of a sudden I'm in this like deep word study where mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, write your sermon, like stop, <laughs> like, you know, but you know, I, so part of me wishes I had taken it, but we really were encouraged, you know, that bar quote. Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. Um, I There are times when I wish we would have had a little more of a traditional seminary education than I think we did. Um, I mean, I can throw together a protest like nobody's business, but ask <laughs> me, you know, ask me to, you know, read a church budget and it's like reading Chinese. And so, you know, there's times when I'm like, you know, we really could have stuck with the bedrock of some of these teachings, but um, I, I really appreciated my, my homiletics professor, um, Jan, um, well, her married, her maiden name is Chanel or married right. name is Chanel. Yeah. But she was phenomenal. And I was really lucky because she was only at LSTC for two or three years. So wow. I kind of was there in that, but she just like, you know, she always talked about exegeting your context, not just the context in the scripture, but the context that you're in. And so I, I really appreciated that. And it's interesting because a lot of other pastors that I've either worked with or like my internship supervisor and things, you can tell kind of what was said in their homiletics classes by like how they're preaching. Um, you know, I, I've worked, I worked with a pastor for a long time who started every single sermon with a joke oh like literally like you know a nothing so, should be that predictable oh yeah i mean it was it was dad joke <clears throat> you know a uh, little bit about the scripture something from <laughs> reader's digest a little bit about the scripture and it was just like image after image after image and people would laugh and enjoy it but like there was no really deep thinking or um, there was challenge. no there there. <laughs> yeah. And it just like, you know, I remember, and he would never use personal stories ever. Oh. And I remember once, uh, he had preached something about, um, uh, he had told a story about a, a parents whose ch child was sick and they were in the hospital and, and struggling and this and that. And it was literally something I think he'd stumbled across on Facebook. Like he didn't actually know this family. And I heard his wife after the service say to him, we had sick kids. Why didn't you talk about our kids? Oh. Why, why did you talk about this other thing? So she even called him out on it of like, you're allowed to talk about yourself. And he was just kind of like, ah, I didn't feel appropriate. And then just kind of like went along. But so, yeah, no, much, much different seminary experience for, uh, for me and my, my generation. <laughs> But yeah, but it, it is, it's interesting. And um, 
you know, I, I have to, I have to call, I have to check myself sometimes because I love to end with a call to action or, you know, a challenging question. And every now and then I'm like, okay, I need to remind them that they're loved by God and like that Jesus <laughs> is on their team instead of being like, how can we be better? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then there's times when I'm like, we've heard we're great for a really long time. Like mm-hmm. maybe we should kind of challenge our thinking a little bit and, mm-hmm. um, and all of that. But, you know, I always, I, I tend to always end on, and we're not in this work alone ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of, I, I like to sprinkle in a little bit of gospel at the very end. <laughs> so people- yeah, my homiletics professor, Harold Albert at Philadelphia Seminary, <laughs> yeah. uh, was, he had a very formulaic way that he taught us to do sermons. And yeah, you always took it to the cross at the end. Oh, yes. And so then like the last day, of that homiletic semester, he says, okay, I've taught you how to do this pattern. Don't ever do it again. Oh, oh my God. And we're oh. like, what? <laughs> Not fair. Not cool. <laughs> no. Oh my God. But he, he did not believe in personal stories either. Mm. He always wanted you to do something from a movie. Oh. He wanted the movie quote. Yeah. Well, for a long time, that was, that was it. And it, it was very much, you have to get out of the way and let God Mm -hmm. uh, do what God does. And it was, uh, and to, to reveal something about yourself would perhaps turn the attention to uh, you instead of God, but also inherent in that was an, a, a kind of assumed objectivity mm-hmm. that we actually can read the text objectively. And that you as the preacher went into your study, you found this nugget of truth, you pulled it out and here it is. And that all happened in all of your study and all of your comments, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, without any any influence of you. Well, that's just not even true. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if and if that was true, why would you need to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan more than once? Correct. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly. really, you know, that's that's in and so I think, you know, going back to that sense of uh it that it and really what's at stake here is kind of is really theological in that that since we believe in incarnated God, don't you think that also God celebrates the incarnated us? Mm-hmm. And and so everything. So that's another thing I I am very clear about with my students that I am not going to teach them to have a you know a certain model or a certain mm-hmm. form or whatever or a certain way of being. My job is to come alongside them and to help them to grow into the preacher God has called them to be and mm-hmm. all of their uniqueness. And yeah. and I but I think the pushback sometime of sometimes with that is how do you separate out that 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 objectivity and subjectivity. And of course, that's really, that's another whole, that's another whole can of worms, right? Is mm-hmm. when people, when people do not recognize or refuse to recognize their ideologies, biases, mm-hmm. contexts in their reading yeah. and, uh, and don't acknowledge those and their assumptions and, and whether it's denominational or theological or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah, uh, then that's when we really start getting into trouble. 
Right. Oh gosh, yeah. We're breaking down what someone learned in Sunday school in 1965. I mean, I remember preaching on Mary Magdalene once and saying, there's been a long held belief that Mary Magdalene was a sex worker, but that's not true. <laughs> and I remember seeing like multiple people kind of clutch their pearls, you know, and <laughs> coming up right. to me afterwards, like, I have always thought she was this like redheaded hussy. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> she was far more complex than that. I'm like, she bankrolled Jesus's ministry. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's always kind of interesting kind of seeing, you know, these long held beliefs that people have had. And, you know, I think that's the, that's the blessing of being a preacher is we can't just look at a scripture at face value because we have to preach it every three years for sometimes 40 years. <laughs> and a lot of times the the commentaries and the books that we're reading are making the same points over and over again. And so if we don't contextualize these things, we can just recycle sermons every three years. Like, oh, here we are again. Let's see if we remember what we talked about last time. And wow. so, you know, even even uh, you know, being on on AJ's podcast yesterday and, and looking at the first Thessalonians reading, um, I felt like I felt like I was in seminary again, kind of doing this text study. And I mean, nerd alert, I loved it. I was just like, wow, this is so cool. I was like, look how many things we figured out, you know. And I think the average Bible reader, even if you're even if you're one of those people that reads it from cover to cover every year, um, you just don't do on your own. And so, you know, kind of being able to dive deep and, and look at some of these new things we're learning um, is, is really cool. I mean, I'm just waiting for some archeologist to be like, we found another letter from Paul. <laughs> you know? and then we're, know. All just, we're all just like, Ooh, is it Thessalonians well, five? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Well, I think um, because I'm assuming that a lot of people who are listening to the podcast are, are perhaps preachers, and I think a good many of them are, although I keep getting shocked by lay people who I don't even know who say that they listen to the podcast. I'm gonna, like, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do? Um, so, you know, that's really wonderful. I guess one of my concerns for parish pastors um, is – you know, when you're in a congregation, whether it's small or large, you know, as you said earlier, the your duties and responsibilities are all over the map from, oh, we need more toilet paper in the bathroom to I have to now run to the hospital and, you know, be with somebody in their dying process to, um, you know, the, the sermon is always there for you to prepare it, yeah. you know. And especially if you're in a parish by yourself, as the, as the called preacher, it's you. Sometimes I joke and open the bulletin and go, oh, it's me again, you know? <laughs> oh, man, darn it. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm ready. So because of that, I feel like that for those pastors who are and preachers who are listening, um, you know, I worry about us. Because if we are not taking the time for text study, maybe we aren't looking at the best resources. You know, if we're just pulling something out of our head or I think this is what this is about, or if we're just always preaching our first rough draft, every, that's one of my 
things, you know, are you preaching your first draft every single Sunday? Why do you have to throw dad under the bus like that? Because, (laughs) you know, for a fact, he gets up and just preaches on the way. You're the studier. I know. I know. It's (laughs) hilarious. My whole life, all week, mom's books and notes are stacked all over the dining room table or all over her desk. And she's toiling away at this sermon all week. And then I remember not all week, just about. And I remember, or, you know, she would take us to Chuck E. Cheese on Saturdays, you know, pump us full of tokens and pizza so that we could play air (laughs) hockey. And she'd be toiling away on her sermon in the, in the corner booth. And then, you know, I would go to church with dad sometimes and he'd be like, what's the gospel today? <laughs> and he would jot something on a post-it note. Put but it that in guy his- can always pull the rabbit out of the hat. I know. And they're both phenomenal preachers. So it's so funny, <laughs> like seeing the the two styles and everyone always asks me, how long does it take you to write a sermon? I said, well, it depends on if I'm having a merry week or a Frank week. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of meet in the middle. I, I really only get down to it on Friday. I can't write a sermon on Wednesday like I it like my brain doesn't I got too much me. else to do well yeah you know, I got all this other stuff I have to do and I'm always terrified what if something happens on Friday that I, you know really I, know. To me? And, I mean I've rewritten a sermon you know early Sunday morning before because something happened overnight on Saturday and so um but yeah it is it is kind of funny how there are weeks that I'm like I like going into Sunday I'm like I really only and preaching on this one little section, what does the rest of the gospel say? <laughs> or, I'm, or I'm up there reading it in church and I'm like, ooh, I could have said something about that. And I don't. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yes. Well, that's happened to many of us. Like you hear something finally for the first time when you're reading right. the gospel. I know. Oh, Jesus said it that way. Okay. Oh, oh well. changes something. (laughs) What do you have to say to all that, Carol? (laughs) Well, yeah, for those preachers listening out there, I would say two things. One is that you have to you have to schedule your preaching, your, your preaching preparation, your sermon preparation. Mm -hmm. You simply have to. And it's 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 something that you act you, you calendarize right you actually put it in your calendar i tell my students this all the time and i say all right if you don't have anything on tuesday mornings you don't have any staff meetings or whatever and tuesday morning is a really good time for you to start engaging the text then you set aside 2 hours like say 9 to 11 mm-hmm. and if somebody wants to meet you with you you say oh, i'm really sorry i have an appointment right you know, with mm-hmm. god yeah <laughs> And right. with the biblical text and with the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. they take yeah. a lot of effort. And uh, and that's, I think, the beauty of uh, one of the advantages of con- confidentiality in ministry. I mean, you do mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. And the uh, but but that, I think, is important because there are obviously there are going to be those weeks where you've written something and you have to throw it in the trash can because something's happened. But you haven't shortchanged the engagement with the text. Mm-hmm. And so you can then go back and say, okay, that direction isn't going to work, but I've right. all this time in this direction that will. Yeah. So you've right. already spent your time with the text. Yeah. I, you know, and, and you've probably also heard you're never not working on your sermon, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're always engaging the text and, mm-hmm. and um, in, in everything that you do. So <clears throat> I think you really have to, 
you really have to schedule that time and 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 do the due diligence of listening mm-hmm. to this conversation partner mm-hmm. that is not just, you know, not just telling you what to say, but you might say, well, I think you said this and it might like talk back to you and say, I didn't say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the things that I admire about the Jewish community and rabbis is that they expect their rabbi to be engaged in textual study and to and to be spending quality time reading studying in their offices not necessarily on their sofas at home and i feel like in at least our mainline protestant churches you know if, if we were just sitting here reading some books or something like that at our desk people are like what you doing nothing you yeah. know like why aren't you out there or mm-hmm. why aren't you in the meeting or what are you doing are we paying you like to read? <laughs> I know, like it's a like it's yeah. a waste of time, right? Um, so I don't. It's almost like I feel like they expect us to work fifty hours a week plus sermon perspiration. Yeah, I think totally. And I and and that's in part why you have to protect it because if you say, "Well, I'm working on my sermon," they're like, "Well, I thought you just like stood up on." Sunny and morning. some people do like, can't you just yeah. wing it by now? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I think the other thing is that I think preachers need to remember that preaching is not just talking about the biblical texts, right? It is preaching is pastoral care. Mm-hmm. It's leadership. It is you're forming the ethos of a community. You're you're demonstrating, you're, you're revealing what's important to you and your leadership in the church. You can set, you can set the tone and the ethos for the congregation going forward. And, uh, preaching is demonstrating biblical interpretation, mm-hmm. how to read the Bible, right. <laughs> how to read the Bible better. <laughs> and it's also doing theology. Mm-hmm. So it's, I remember this one, uh, one student of mine who, I was doing an independent study with her and she had a, her candidacy committee meeting and she, where they asked her, they really questioned her on how much time she spends on her sermon. Mm. And they, and, and so in their recommendations, it was, okay, she cannot, she needs to know that there's no way once she gets into the parish that she can spend that much time on a sermon. There's going to be plenty of all, all these other things. So it was such a myopic understanding of what preaching is. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing I would say is that is how is it that we 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 remember and recognize and embrace that our preaching is yes, it's proclaiming the good news of God, but it's it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and it and so it deserves that time. It has to have that time so that you are you are spending moments in that in that pastoral care moment. Like, what am I going to say here? Mm-hmm. That you can't just pull that out of a hat. No, right. those are those are deeply those are touching your heart and your soul. Your it could be an issue of grief, and you as a preacher have to give space for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Otherwise, I think that's part of what, what leads to like preacher burnout and leads to, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, preaching fatigue is that Mm -hmm. you're going to need space to all of the things that (laughs) a biblical text can, can bring up. No, those would be the couple things I would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to just also from kind of a practical standpoint, um, ask you, you know, what are some, you know, having seen all of these seminary students, and I'm sure you see other people who've been, who are out in parishes preaching and all of that, probably have your own preacher in your congregation. (laughs) But what are some things that you, um, you'd like to encourage preachers to stop doing? And what are some things that you would encourage preachers to start doing a little more of? Mm -hmm. Mm. 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 hard hitting questions i know wow (laughs) that's my last one okay (laughs) well i'll start with the stop doing Mm -hmm. i the first i have one at least two the first is stop telling a bajillion stories in your sermons because then it ends up being a string that reminds me of this story and this story mm-hmm. and this story and this story. And what I think that communicates is that the biblical story isn't enough. Right. That actually the biblical story needs help. Uh, I, we can't really, it, it doesn't do enough. It can't, it can't pull its own weight. And so you have to, and so frequently those stories are not on the same plane theologically or what's at stake in the text. So it's, it might be a, a, and, and I, and, and often people think that those stories are examples. And I, and I don't think that that's the way to approach it. it. We have to think of these, these stories or what we're doing as illustrations, but not illustrations as examples, but like literally illustrating the text, like a, an illustrator does for a children's book, mm-hmm. right? You're painting a picture, you're creating an imagery, you're creating an experience. Mm-hmm. And so, because it, it, because I think at the end of the day, what that shows is that you don't trust the biblical text. Mm-hmm. I mean, one good, one well-placed story is plenty. And actually yeah. most of the time I don't even have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder. Because if you look at and you trust that the whole of that text will help you interpret the part. So that's one thing. Stop mm-hmm. doing. The second thing I would encourage preachers to stop doing is to either justify or um, apologize or not, not apologize, but like try to fit their denomination into a biblical passage. Mm. <laughs> so that, that, you know, and so if you're Lutheran, you've got to say something about justification by faith. Well, guess what? John, the gospel of doesn't care a, a mm. bit about justification by faith. <laughs> yeah. And I much. bet you some homiletics, some homiletics professor told their students, they always had to go there. Oh yeah, or Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Or every mm-hmm. every sermon has to that that talks about water leads to baptism. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. every sermon needs to lead the to ta- lead to the table. Well, mm-hmm. 
Uh, no, uh, actually, again, to what extent you are not trusting the biblical text mm. to lead the direction it wants to lead you. Yeah. And, and any text can be difficult if it doesn't agree with you. And mm-hmm. so, yes. so that, that those are the two things that because I, uh, b- because it, at the end of the day, it, those, that's kind of safe preaching too. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know what to say. So my default is going to be, you know, justification. Right. By like and lay people actually hate all that. You know, they mm-hmm. hate the one story after the other. They realize that they don't connect. And it just seems like you don't have 15 minutes worth of something to say. So you found another Reader's Digest story that's kind of entertaining. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. yeah. And yeah. I, I, and actually that, that second do not do leads to what I would encourage preachers to do. And that is to take theological risks. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to, to preach the text you have, not the text you wish you had. Mm-hmm. And that if, I mean, if you are making a theological claim that, you know, is, is going to be, you know, kind of pushing the envelope again, if you're sticking close to the text, you're not making that up. You're not mm-hmm. coming up with, you are preaching the theology of that passage. Mm-hmm. And, and so that we are, we are remembering that part of what it means to be a faithful preacher is to expand theological imagination. Now, there's not one definition of sin. There's not one definition of soteriology. There's not one mm. definition of eschatology. There's mm. not one definition of Christology. Yeah. Uh, we have four different portraits. And there's so much harmonization that happens in our in our society, right? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. How is it that we have to start, we have to start saying, yeah, but where, why, how, when, mm-hmm. and honoring the particularity of that voice. Uh, and that that voice has something specific to say. And yeah. so that's what the start doing is, is, mm-hmm. is to take it, 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 and it might be risky because you're actually making the claim that's in the text and not the safe claim. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember <laughs> preaching on um, uh, the text recently where Jesus uh, uh, basically um calls the Canaanite woman a dog. And, you know, uh, it's kind of this moment where, you know, this is a different side of Jesus we're seeing. And I said, you know, we believe Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine. Jesus was, was his humanity was really showing in this moment. And I, I had somebody come up to me afterwards. He was, I have like six retired pastors in my congregation (laughs) and he came up to me after the service. So mad. He was like, you have to be careful about what you say up there. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, Jesus was divine. Jesus is God. Jesus was not human. And I'm like, um, (laughs) why don't we grab a cup of coffee sometime and we can talk more about that. (laughs) But, oh my goodness, I struck a nerve that day with him. And it was just like, did you, were we listening to the same gospel reading? Like, you know, and so it was just kind of, you know, just, just challenging that little thing a little bit was, you know, and for most of the people there, they're like, I never thought about it like that. That's so neat, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And, mm-hmm. um, but for that one person, it was like, I had challenged his entire way of thinking and he was not okay with it in that moment, but, mm-hmm. um, he still comes back. <laughs> so I didn't scare him off. Okay. I didn't scare him off. Maybe, maybe he went home and thought about it a little bit more. Maybe, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. 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 And I wonder too, if, um, some of those things are because I, I get great courage, even when I feel like I'm saying something a little theologically theologically risky if I know that I've done my homework mm-hmm. if I yeah. have read and studied and listened to other I call them my preaching partners like working preachers one of my preaching partners and mm-hmm. so it's a Christian Century magazine and so are certain commentaries I've also you know and maybe this is my old age showing I can now read a commentary <laughs> and go no I don't agree with you on that <laughs> You know, so I see that as a big step, Yeah, you know, coming from 1978, where I was told these are, these are the people who have all the right answers Mm -hmm. and can interpret the text. And I feel like, well, I can interpret the text too. And, you know, so. uh, And I think that's that's maybe the other thing I would say to encourage preachers to start believing in themselves. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I often, well, actually, every time I teach preaching, I show a clip from Walk the Line, the movie Walk the Line. Oh, where such a John, good movie. Such a good movie. And where yeah. Johnny Cash is, uh, is, is doing a, um, an audition with his mm-hmm. band for what's the guy's name in, you know, in the studio mm-hmm. and the, I forget what his name now is in the, in the movie, but the the producer guy and mm-hmm. so he's singing and and the guy's like stop 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 you know he's like do you have anything else and Johnny Cash is like what do you mean he's like I listened to that same old gospel song you, you know day after day same old about your peace within and blah blah mm-hmm. blah I do you have something else something that uh, something that um and, and and it says something like, you know, if you were, if you were thrown under a bus and you had one song and I have my students say one sermon, uh-huh. sermon that would sum you up one sermon that would, uh, that would say who you are, what would you sing? Or would you sing that same old, mm. <laughs> same old, same old, same old. Yeah. So that's another thing that I, uh, because especially nowadays when the last four years have been. Mm-hmm. It's been so hard uh, with the pandemic and with the election and with uh, with with the the divisiveness divisiveness. It, it's I know, and it's mm-hmm. like it, it's so hard to believe in yourself when mm-hmm. these these criticisms and challenges and you know, am I living up to my calling or coming from everywhere? And uh, but to really to believe in yourself, like you were talking about, Mary, like I know I've worked with this text. I know. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, is that you're not you're not engaging that text abstractly, right? engaging that passage for your people. And Tom Long tells a story of how he was at the Festival of Homiletics once and a preacher came up to him and said, Dr. Long. You know, besides you, of course, because you're the best preacher in America. Besides you, who do you think the best preacher in America, you know, best preachers are in America today? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and expecting him to name so on, so on, all these famous people. And Tom Long said, you. Oh. Because mm. only you know 
what your congregation needs to hear. That mm-hmm. makes you. And you have to trust that. You trust that. And that's yeah. trusting yourself and trusting the love that you have for them, mm-hmm. love that they have for you, that relationship. And so to start trusting that mm-hmm. is uh, and believing in that gives you a lot of courage mm-hmm. to say yeah. that you need to be yeah. said. Yeah. And, you know, most of us in parish ministry are in it for the long haul in a congregation. We're not the guest preacher who has to be brilliant, you oh. know, that one time um, where people say, well, that was 300 bucks down the toilet, you know, but. Great. I'm going to a church. I'm going to a preaching <laughs> conference this weekend. I really hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it won't. <laughs> but I mean, I think it, it's one of the graces of being in a place for you know, six or 12 years is you don't have to say, and this is one of the things that we all know that seminary students do in preaching class. They try to say everything in every sermon, Mm -hmm. Um, but we know that the everything happens over a long period of time and you're shaping people over time with the word. It's faith forming. Um, It's not a flash in the pan. You're allowed to fail and, you know, have a sermon that wasn't so great. But as I said, somebody loved it, though. (laughs) It was the right thing for at least one person. Yeah. Yeah. And when that one person says, I loved your sermon and I try not to go, really? (laughs) (laughs) I'm usually like, good. (laughs) Thank goodness. Although I do, I do try now to say, why, what did you, (laughs) what was it that you liked about it to try to figure out how did what I say connect with you? Mm Because I think that's, that's a helpful learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such an important point, Mary, is that you are, you are in a relationship with them and Mm -hmm. And, and, and relationships are sometimes they're fantastic. And sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they take a a lot of hard work and a lot Mm -hmm. of listening and a lot of, but when you have that trust, when they trust you, you can say a lot and do a lot of things. And, Mm -hmm. and so I think right now for preachers to remember that it could be really empowering. Yeah. And I I think too, mm -hmm. well, I just, I, you know, when I think about that idea of kind of trusting yourself, I know for me being, you know, in my first call, even though I'm a second career person, kind of, I'm seen as this like kid pastor, I think in a lot of ways. And I know, you know, everyone of every age needs to be reminded to trust themselves. But I think for younger pastors where you have people in your congregation who are 60, 70, 80, and they can quote the Bible back to you, or they can, you know, they're like, here are the five theological books I read this week. Can we talk about all of them? And you kind of feel out of your depth a lot of the time. Like, what can I teach these people who could be my grandparents? You know, wow. what do, what am I bringing? I think that idea of trusting yourself, trusting the fact that, you know, people can be as self-taught as they want, but, you know, you've you've done the work, you've, you've gotten the education to do it. And you were called inwardly and outwardly to be there in that position. Um, especially for people, you know, for women, for people of color, for queer folks who just walking in the door, you have strikes against you. Uh Um, I think, I think, you know, if anyone takes anything away from this conversation, it's trust yourself and trust your ability, um, and kind of claim your authority. Right. I mean, I know I talked about authority, 
because working preacher talked about authority um, <laughs> in in the text a couple weeks ago when the Pharisees were like asking Jesus, who gave you this authority? I would um, yep. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, so, you know, we talk about w- authority doesn't have to be the scary word of like, when you think of authority, you think of cops or, you know, kind of these things. It's, it's also this kind of um, self-lifting thing of, you know, recognizing, um, you know, that people have these gifts that kind of allow them to be in different positions and these callings, um, that kind of give you that ability to, to do what you do. And so it was, it certainly was a a good reminder for me and in my current situation to be like, okay, no, I am the pastor for a reason. So I can, (laughs) I can walk in there with my, you know, head up Uh knowing that and, uh, and kind of, you know, Yep, you're uh, called to that place. Right. Yep, exactly. For a reason and for a time such as this, right? Yep, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, Caroline, I, I wanted to um to leave you with something that one of my favorite um seminary professors, Tim Lull, said. Did you know Tim? I never knew him, but uh but my mother did. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we all loved him to pieces. And um so of course he was a systematic theologian. And really good at what he did. I took courses from him that I don't know that I understood anything that was going on. But <laughs> because no one understands systemic theology except I know the people who teach it <laughs> exactly. But I loved I loved Tim and I loved his style. But so as a systematic theologian, he said the professors in seminary who have the most impact on students and on the church are the homiletics professors. Wow. Yeah. And, you you know, so I've thought about that a lot. And I thought, um, you know, in some ways, the homiletics professor, because they're teaching you something that is really the thing you're most scared of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and you're almost more worried about disappointing them than disappointing anybody else. I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody else sees your New Testament exegesis paper unless Mm -hmm. you decide to show it to them. But in homiletics class, the professor makes you stand up in front of everybody else. Or back in my day, we had to videotape it yes. and then have the whole <laughs> class watch it while the son of a gun professor that I had would sit there and go, oh, Lord, oh, my goodness. Oh, please, please stop. Please stop <laughs> now. Yeah. There were video recordings back in the late 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have to go to the library and rent a camera? Well, maybe. We had a whole studio. (laughs) Oh. We had our own videotape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I know. It was mortifying. Sounds awful. (laughs) But, you know, so I I just wanted to say that to you. And and I have definitely come to believe that, that that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you for the for the long haul work that, that you've been doing all of these years. And absolutely. If there's anything that Elise and I can do to support you (laughs) besides just buying your books and (laughs) let us know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate your time and your ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to You're On Mute. Do us a favor and please share this episode and then rate, review, and subscribe on all of your podcast platforms.